part of the pressure of decision-making is <clears throat> the fact that there's a, there's a loneliness to decision-making. Uh, because if you have a big decision in your life, ultimately it's going to come back to you. Like you are the only one who can make that decision. Probably people have said that to you before when you've been making a big decision. Somebody has said, like, I can't tell you what to do. I can just give you this advice. I'm not going to tell you what to do. And probably some of us have said, please just tell me what to do. Like, I don't want to have to make this decision. Uh, there, there's a loneliness. There, some of it is because we know uh, we, we have to deal with the consequences of this decision. Like, if it goes badly, then it's on me. And so there is that sort of wrestling. Some of it's, some of it's fear. Uh, fear of the unknown, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of disappointing somebody, fear of everybody finding out that I made this choice and it was, it was a big bust. John Orberg writes about this in one of his books. He writes, Princeton philosopher Walter Kaufman coined the word decidophobia. He noticed that human beings are afraid of making decisions. We don't want the anxiety that goes along with the possibility of being wrong. Decisions wear us out. And maybe that's not all of us, but I think that's probably a lot of us. Like Decisions wear us out, especially if we're in a season of life where we're making several decisions, constant decisions, it seems, one right after another. And we have this anxiety about making the wrong decision. But even if we feel that, even if we have those emotions, ultimately, you got to decide. And you are the only one who can Decide. As a matter of fact, if there are people who always want to tell you what to decide, you probably should not hang out with those people, all right? There are people in your life who are going to want to tell you all of your decisions. That's not healthy either. Uh, we use the phrase, it's lonely at the top. Sometimes you talk about organizations. And the closer you get to the top, to leadership or management or CEO or however you determine the top, the, the more you go up in an organization, the lonelier it can feel, and decisions are one of the reasons. Because so many decisions end up on your desk. You're ultimately the final word, and everybody's looking to you to make the decision. Everybody's waiting on you to make the decision. That's part of what creates loneliness the higher up you are in an organization. If you've worked your way up, like if you were mid-level and you worked your way up, you remember how brilliant you were before you sat in the big seat, right? Everybody's smart that's not in the big seat. Like everybody has suggestions. We should do it this way. How come you haven't changed this? If I were in charge, and then you sit in the big seat and you realize now I can do all of those things, but I'm also responsible for how it turns out. And it's not quite as much fun anymore. Not to mention all the people below you are going, would you hurry up? We can't do our job until you decide. There is a loneliness. There's sometimes fear. There's sometimes anxiety when it comes to deciding. Well, Dr. Seuss wrote about this in All the Places You'll Go. He writes, all alone. Whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hack and cracks howl. 
Onward up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. He's right. Sometimes decision-making is all alone, and you don't want to make a mistake, and you don't want to mix up your right foot with your left. You want to be dexterous and deft. So how do we do that? I, I, want, to, I want to give some suggestions, and a lot of these are just kind of practical suggestions. A lot of these you could probably give. You probably already know some of these. I just want to remind you of some principles that can help in the process of decision-making. And that's really kind of the first principle. And that is, when you're making a decision, give yourself plenty of time to make big decisions. Like give yourself time. Allow time for the process of decision-making. It's never a good idea to go shop for a car on the day that you have to buy a car. That's never a good, a good deal because you don't have time to research cars. You don't have time to check fair market value. You don't have time to look at Clark Howard's website, which you should do about any decision you make in your life, right? What does Clark Howard say? Like you don't have time to do all the details. You don't have time to figure out all of the homework and all of the issues that are going into this decision. Give yourself time when it comes to big decisions. And, and I understand, we don't always have a lot of time. I, occasionally, there's a decision that pops up, and I've got to make the decision today. But that's not true for most of the life-altering decisions that we make. We, we, if we're watching, we can see them coming. We can see them weeks in advance. Sometimes we can see them months in advance. Sometimes we can see them years in advance. We know it's coming, so I need to get started with the process, because here's, here's the truth. The pressure of time makes bad decision makers out of all of us. Eventually. Yeah, maybe you made a, a, a quick decision and it turned out to be the right thing one time. That could happen. I mean, God's good and, and, and God gives us grace sometimes when we have to make quick decisions. But if this is the pattern of your life to put things off, eventually... The pressure of time is going to make you a bad decision maker. It just will. And I know that some of us, probably by personality, I'm kind of this way. We're not going to make the decision until the last moment. We're going to gather information and gather information. We're going to wait and wait. And then when we have to make the decision, we're going to make it. I understand. That's a little bit of personality and that's okay. What's not okay is waiting to get the process started. You and I need to give big decisions plenty of time. Here are a couple of uh, suggestions from the Proverbs, a couple of principles. Proverbs chapter 19. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? How much more will hasty feet miss the way? The way I've got to make it quick. I've got to make a quick decision. I got to rush ahead. I really haven't taken time to think about this, to process it. I I haven't been in this decision-making process very long. How much more will hasty feet miss the way most of the time? Most of the time. Another principle from the Proverbs. 
To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. To answer before, like to make up your mind fast. Before you've had a chance to run the details. Before you've had a chance to think through the process. To answer before listening. To move ahead quickly. That's going to lead to foolishness. Now here's what I've found in my spiritual life when it comes to the process. And that is, God uses the process to bring us to wisdom. I found that God uses time, God uses the process to lead us to wisdom. And sometimes the process is frustrating, and and sometimes we want to know the right answer now, and we don't know the right answer now, and that's frustrating, and there's waiting involved. But what what I found is like when we trust God early, when we start seeking God early, then God uses the process to bring us to wisdom. One of the ways that He does that is that God uses the process to start narrowing down our options. Often when we start with a decision, we have lots of options, or at least in our mind we have lots of options. We're considering five different things. We're considering ten different things. We're considering thirty different things. If you and I will get into the process of decision-making, what we'll find is that some of those begin to eliminate themselves without us even trying. Just walking through the process, we begin to see, well, that's not really a good option. Well, I thought that was a good option. That's not really a good option after all. And, and, And we'll find that instead of 20 options, maybe there's only four really good ones that I should be considering. Instead of 10 options, maybe there's about three that could really work out. This is one of the contributing factors to the decidophobia that that I read about just a minute ago. The time that we live in, we have seemingly an endless amount of options. That's one of the things that causes anxiety and fear and hesitation when it comes to decision making is we've got so many options. There's so many different options. Uh, options that we're exposed to, our information that we're exposed to. If you don't believe that, then take out your phone, pull up Google, type dishwasher in the search line, and for the next month, you're going to get a different dishwasher advertised on your social media feed and the advertising bar whenever you're searching the internet. You're going to have so many options for dishwasher. This is the time that we live in. Whatever we type in, Whatever we ask Alexa for, whatever we think, somehow starts showing up, and I don't know how it happens. It just starts showing up. All of these options. We live in a time of incredible options, and that can be paralyzing. Too many options can be paralyzing, which is why if you, if you and I can get this process started, God has a way of narrowing those options down. Now, we're in the send them off to college phase of our life, which I, I know it's hard to believe since I'm only 32, but we are, we are in that phase of sending everybody off to college. We have a freshman in college, we have a junior in high school, we have a freshman in high school, so just every other year we're sending somebody to college. If you're trying to choose a college, uh, theoretically, every college in the United States is an option, right? I mean, theoretically, not really. I'm sorry, you're not going to get into every college in the United States. You just aren't. It's going to get narrowed down really. You're, gonna, you're not going to like every college. 
As a matter of fact, if you start visiting colleges as a, as a junior or a senior in high school, there's going to be a college that you thought you were going to love, and you're not going to love it. You're going to think, I, I don't really like that one. And there may be one that you didn't think you'd like at all, and it's going to be appealing. You're going to add it to the list. The process has a way of refining the options. You're probably not going to be able to afford every college in the United States. My children's parents can't afford every college in the United States. We like, woo, I got narrowed down really fast for us. Some colleges are going to offer you scholarships. God, life, however you want to look at it, has this wonderful way of narrowing down options if we just step into the process, not just for college, but career, or am I going to change jobs, or should we move to this other city, should we move to get closer to his work or her work, or, or, or if you'll just start down the process, if you'll just get started, things start to become clear. Now, now, what are some steps in this process? Again, this isn't new and novel, but let me just remind you, what are some steps in this process? It goes without saying that every decision has its own unique set of homework that you have to do. Like it has its own unique set of information and details that you need to check. Going to college has a unique set of information you've got to investigate. Uh, choosing a career has a unique set. Or am I going to marry her? That's a unique set of information that you've got to pursue. We don't have time to go through every decision in life and say, well, you should ask these questions. These are some broad, general steps in the process that I think we ought to take when we make decisions. And the first one is we need to ask God for wisdom. As we enter into the process, not only at the beginning, but all the way through, we need to ask God to give us the wisdom to make the right decision. God, you show me the way. We said last week that it would be nice when, when we came to a crossroads, when we came to a decision, it would be nice if there was this flashing neon arrow this way, this way. We don't get flashing neon arrow. You know what we get? We get the wisdom of God. God never said, I will write it on the wall. God said, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you my spiritual wisdom, my discernment, I will help you make the right decision. I'm not going to tell you what to do. God sometimes says that. I'm not going to tell you with a flashing sign. What I am going to do, I'm going to give you wisdom to make decisions. Here's, here's a couple of uh, verses about wisdom. first one is from the Proverbs chapter 2. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He just gives it. You ask for it, he gives it. Why wouldn't we ask God for wisdom throughout the process of decision-making? We often read from James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Only prerequisite. The only prerequisite that the Bible gives for us getting God's wisdom is asking. Why wouldn't we ask? God, I need your wisdom. We wouldn't not just ask once, but ask throughout the process. There's not going to be a neon sign, but God, I can have your wisdom if I ask for your wisdom. Another part of the process. Seek out the wisdom of others. Seek out the wisdom of others. Not just, God, I want your wisdom. 
but I want the wisdom of the people who are around me. Like, I want to get input. I, I, I want to talk to some wise people, and, and I want them to help me look at this particular decision in my life and give me some directions. Now, why wouldn't we do that? Arrogance it would be one, right? I mean, sometimes we look at a decision and we either think, well, I'm smarter than anybody else when it comes to this, right? or we're too lazy to go ask people, or we don't have the courage to admit to someone, you know, I'm wrestling with this decision. I'd like to get your input. I mean, there's a little bit of humility that's required there. I don't have the answer. Like, I don't know the right decision. Could I run this past you? Would you speak into this particular situation? Would you give me some wisdom? Now, in order to do that, I have to give up on the idea that I am the only one who has ever faced this particular decision. Because sometimes we convince ourselves of that. And it's true. I mean, every decision has some unique context and some unique players and some unique backstory. But I'm not the only one that's made a decision like this in the whole history of earth. I'm just not. And you're not either. And sometimes we have to let that go. We have to let, it's kind of a pride thing of thinking, well, nobody's going to understand this decision. Like this is different from anybody else's. It's probably not. It's probably not. It's probably similar in a lot of ways to decisions that other people have made and other people could help you with the decision that you're making. Again, some principles from the Scriptures. This is from the Proverbs. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Like, how do you win? Like, how do you get the right answer? You, you get a lot of wise people speaking into your life. Another one. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Pretty simple. God wants to give us His wisdom, and then God commands that we seek out the wisdom of other people. Now, what do other people do for us? What, what do wise people do for us? Well, obviously, wise people bring additional experience to our decision. Like, they bring a different perspective. If I'm trying to make a decision by myself, I have my background, I have my experiences, I have my education, I have my relationships, all as a filter to run this decision through. When I ask somebody else what they would do or what they think about my situation, I get my experience and their experience. I get, I get the wisdom that God's giving me and the wisdom God's giving them. And if I, have to, if I, if I ask a second person... Now there's three times as much experience and wisdom and perspective. That's, that's what seeking counsel will do. And sometimes you have to seek it. Right? People aren't hopefully walking around going, hey, can, can I help you make a decision? You got a decision? Just ask me. Right? Most, most people don't do that. And they're probably weird if they do. So I wouldn't ask them for wisdom anyway. Truly wise people, you often have to seek out. Right? Hey, I want... I want to tell you about something that's going on in my life. Can we, can we get coffee? Can we have dinner? Can I come to your office? Can we sit down? Can I run this pie, you? Because they bring experience to the decision. Another thing that they bring. Wise people can question our assumptions. Right? 
wise people can question our assumptions. Whenever we make big decisions, just naturally, we bring a set of assumptions to the decision. We bring kind of an infrastructure to the decision and we kind of plop it on top of the decision. When I ask for input from somebody that's not in my organization or who's not in the middle of this thing that's going on, they're able to bring a perspective that I don't have. They're able to see it from outside and they're able to push back on some of my assumptions. Because sometimes I come to a decision I think, well, it's got to be A or B. Obviously, it's got to be one or two. Wise people have a way of saying, well, you know, it probably could be two and a half. It might be three. You might combine one and two in this particular way. And sometimes I get locked into tunnel vision when it comes to my decisions. And I need a wise person from outside who can say, have you ever thought about it like this? Have you ever considered this? Sometimes they'll say, have you ever considered that you don't have to make that decision right now? And they kind of take the pressure off. Because I feel like i got to decide, i got to decide. And they go, well, you know, you really could give another three months to making this decision. They push back on the assumptions. They bring a different perspective. Sometimes just explaining my decision to another person clarifies my decision for me. Has that ever happened to you? You go to coffee with somebody, you're like, okay, here's the situation, you set it up, you're talking, and by the time you're done talking, like you already know what you're supposed to do. And they go, yeah, I'd do that. That's, that's a good thing. Or sounds kind of obvious to me. Like, I think you've got it figured out, you just got to do it. Sometimes just verbalizing it. Sometimes verbalizing a big decision to another person helps me see that this really isn't a big decision. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe I've made too much of this. And maybe this isn't the earth-shattering thing that I've thought about and sitting at my house or sitting in my office or sitting in my car and running it over and over again in my head. I wasn't able to see that. But when I actually had to explain it to another human being, I went, oh, yeah, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. Get wise counsel. Another thing about seeking counsel is wise people tend to be connected to wise people. Wise people tend to be connected to wise people. I find this to be true. Like when I have coffee with somebody whose wisdom I trust, whose decision-making I trust, there have been times that they've said, you know what, I, I've not experienced anything quite like that, but I have a friend who has. And I would love to connect the two of you. Right? Connectors are great people. Wise people tend to be connectors. They tend to know when they're at the end of their wisdom, but they often know somebody else who has more wisdom, and they'll say, you should talk to her. You should talk to him because they've experienced that. They've been through that, and I think they could help you. I think you guys would really get along, and they would be able to help you in this. this is wise people are connected to other wise people. Here's the reality of getting advice and seeking wisdom. Tell me who you take advice from, and I'll tell you what kind of decision maker you are. Often it's just that simple. Hey, tell me who you most listen to when it comes to the big decisions of your life. I can pretty much tell you what kind of decision maker you are. 
Because if you're listening to wise people, you're probably going to make wise decisions. If you're listening to people who aren't very wise, you're probably not going to make a lot of wise decisions. And some of us have had the experience of someone bringing a problem to us and, and, and us sharing our experience and our wisdom and then being disheartened because we knew they're going to run back and talk to that other person that they always listen to that always gives them bad advice and they're not going to hear anything that I said. T tell me who you take advice from. Tell me who you listen to. Tell me who's speaking into your life. And I'll tell you what kind of decision maker you are. Um, next idea. When seeking wise counsel, I'm looking for someone who has demonstrated a pattern of wise decisions. I'm looking for someone who's demonstrated a pattern of wise decisions. If I, if I want wisdom for my marriage, I'm looking for somebody who's demonstrated consistent wise decisions in their marriage. That's who I want to talk to. If I'm, if I'm trying to make a, a financial decision, I want to find somebody that has consistently demonstrated wise financial decisions. They're not perfect. You learn from mistakes. I get that. Sometimes we get wisdom by making mistakes. I understand that. But basically, I'm looking for somebody who has wisdom in this area, and they have demonstrated wisdom over time in this particular area. I want advice about relationships, my marriage. I want to find somebody who has demonstrated wisdom. Look, we all have friends that aren't very bright, right? And we love them, and they're, we have a great time. And we, we, we go to the movies together, and we go out there, and that's awesome. They're just not people we should ask for wisdom from because we're not going to get any. Right? We love them, and God loves them, and they're going to heaven, and, and, and we're happy to be their friends. But... But when I am making a big decision that's going to impact my future, my family's future, I want to talk to somebody who has a track record of making wise decisions. Another suggestion, when seeking wise counsel, I'm looking for someone who has more experience than I do. I'm looking for somebody who has more experience than I have. I'm looking for someone a little farther down the road in that particular area than I am. I, I'm looking for somebody who has faced a similar challenge to the one I'm facing, made a similar big step than the one that I made. I, I'm not looking for the person who's just going to tell me I'm right or just going to agree with me or is just going to say, I think whatever you think will be fine. And I, sometimes you, that's the right thing to say. But w when I need input, when I'm trying to make a decision, I need somebody who's bringing something to the table, experience-wise, wisdom-wise. They're not going to just agree with me. They're not just going to pat me on the head and say, you're great, just do that. They're going to bring something. And, and I'm going I'm to be the old guy for just a minute. We have some students in the, in the services. I'm going to be the old guy for, for a minute because if you're 16 and the only people you're getting advice from are 16-year-olds, you're not getting enough wisdom. Okay, you're not. And, and, and 16-year-olds can have wisdom. That's not what I'm saying, right? We have great 16, 17, 18, 15-year-olds in our church. We have great teenagers in our church that love the Lord. They have wisdom from the Lord. They just have 16 years worth of wisdom. 
Which is not the same as 36 years of wisdom. It's just not the same. If you're if you're 16 or 21, right, or 22, and the only voices you're hearing are the voices of people your age and at your stage of life, you need to get more wisdom from people who have more experience. And it's not a generational thing. It's not like the millennials or the whatever the people are after the millennials. I don't know who they are, but they're somebody, and they're going to have a name, and there's going to be books about them and studies, and we're going to get tired of hearing about them, right? Whatever, it's not a generational thing. We all felt that way. I mean, if you can back up to your 17-year-old self, you felt the same way. You thought, you thought old people were dumb. You did. I did, you did, and we define old as anybody over 25 when we were 17, right? Anybody over 25, is, it was all of us. It's not the current generation. It's all of us. We have always felt that way. You just need more wisdom than that. Now, here's the challenge for your generation, right? If there's a challenge for the teenage generation right now, <clears throat> it's that because of technology and smartphones, and the internet, and social media, I think it is much easier for 16-year-olds to insulate themselves with 16-year-old voices now than it used to be. You can insulate your world right now, social media, internet, scrolling. You can insulate your world to just teenagers. I think that's the danger. I think that's why today is different, because you're not hearing those voices. And it's true for 16-year-olds, and it's true for 17-year-olds, and it's true for the rest of us, too. This is not a teenage problem. If, if the only voices in my life are just echo chambers of what I think and telling me that I'm right all the time, I'm not getting enough wisdom either. I might as well be 16. And if I'm, if I'm insulating myself with only people who tell me that I'm great and tell me that my decision is right all the time, I'm not getting wisdom. Because wisdom comes from people who have more and or different experiences than I have. All right? Some questions. Some things that, that you and I should ask ourselves in this process. Is this decision in line with what God has been doing in my life? Is this decision, the one I'm trying to make, and the answer I think I'm going to give, is it in line with what God has been doing in my life? Or to shorten it, like, does this make sense with what God is doing in my life? I tend to believe that in almost all cases, God works in a straight line, all right? God works in a straight line. Now, it's not always the straight line we thought it was going to be. We thought it was going to be this straight line, and God's been working on this straight line the whole time, all right? But, but in my life, what I found, my experience is, if I, if I look at the decision, even if it seems like a, 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 a right turn, if I think about it, I can always see... Well, God was getting me ready for this. I didn't, I didn't know this is where I was going to end up. But it makes sense that God was preparing me for this moment. 
this decision that I now feel like I'm supposed to make, it seems like a straight line for what God's been doing in my life. I think it's a good question to ask. Does this make sense with what God has been doing in my life, how he's been preparing me? Remember the story of uh, David and Goliath. David's slingshot defeats the giant. And he has this moment with Saul where Saul thinks this is kind of a crazy idea. Everybody thinks this is a crazy idea. And David says, well, God was with me when I defeated the lion. And God was with me when I defeated the bear. Translation, like God's been getting me ready for this moment. Like There's a straight line, lion, bear, Goliath. Now, I didn't know that was the straight line at, at the time that I was killing the lion. I didn't know that's where this was going. But I look back and now I see, well, God's kind of been getting me ready for this. I think that's most often how God tends to work. Not everybody's going to see the straight line that you see. Not everybody in your life is going to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But are there some wise people, some people close to you, some people who really know you and love you and care about you who will say, I see what God's doing. Yeah, I think if you make that decision, I kind of see that God's getting you ready for that. Years ago, a story that's much too long for Sunday morning, um, Julie and I began to feel that God was moving us from a ministry staff position into I, I might become a lead pastor. It was a big, huge step, and to the people around us, to the people close to us, to the people who were in our lives at the time, it made sense. I see what God's setting, I see what God's doing. But there were some people who were in my life five, six years ago, some people who were voices of wisdom in my life five or six years ago when I was in college. The, the people that I looked to, they helped me make really big decisions when I was in college. But fast forward five, six, seven years, they hadn't really been a part of my life. And that decision looked really bizarre to them. Like it looked really strange to them. But they hadn't been on the straight line of the past six, seven, eight years in my life. And, and it may be that way for you. There may be some people who don't see it and don't get it. But is God confirming a straight line in your heart? Is God confirming straight line in people who are really close to you, who really love you, care about your heart and care about your future? Because I think God tends to work that way. Another question. Are there warning signs about this decision that I'm dismissing? Are there warning signs? That this is just an honest, introspective question we all need to ask in decision-making because we are all capable of trying to skew the decision toward one side. I want it to be door number one. I don't want it to be door number two. I want door number one. So I'm going to read all of the evidence as door number one. And sometimes we have to step back and ask, am I, am I dismissing some warning signs because I want door number one so much? Sometimes... We'll look at a job opportunity and, and we'll know. Like the past five people that were in that position left angry and frustrated and burned out. But it's going to be different for me. Like I got more skill than they have. Like I'm a harder worker. I'm, better, I'm smarter than they are. And it's going to work out for me even though the last five people, it didn't work out. For me, it's going to be, no, it's probably not. It's just probably not. 
all of my friends keep telling me that she has some problems. There's some real issues with him that they are concerned. Their last three wives had real problems with them. But I'm going to fix all of that. It's going to be different when we're together. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to fix her. They're going to be perfect when they're with me. I'm just going to love them, and I'm going to care for them, and I'm going to lead them to Jesus. No, you're probably not. You're probably not. What you're probably going to do is be in my office in about three years talking about the next decision that you got to make. Let's be careful not to dismiss roadblocks that people and God are trying to put in front of us. Let's just be honest about what we see. Next question, am I considering all the consequences of my decision? We said last week that the decisions I'm making right now are setting up the decisions that I'm going to make in five years, three years, two years. Like I will be making a set of decisions in three years that are the direct result of the decisions I'm making right now. Have I thought that far down the road? And have I really looked beyond making this decision to the consequences intended and perhaps unintended that are going to come with this decision? Am I able to look farther down the road instead of just getting tunnel vision toward making this decision and being done with it. Last thought. Is there a growing excitement about this possibility? Is there a growing excitement about this possibility? Just my experience and what I see in the Bible is that as I get closer to making the decision that God is leading me towards, just... There's this confirmation that starts to build. Now, that doesn't take away all fear. I'm not saying that. That doesn't take away all the challenges. I'm not saying that. That doesn't even take away all of the questions. Not saying that. I'm just saying as I've been in the process, as I'm asking God for wisdom, as I'm praying about this, as I'm seeking wisdom from other people, as I'm doing the homework, and I get closer to this decision, there's this, hey, I'm kind of excited about what could be. I more and more feel like a yes is coming in this direction. The the psalmist said it this way. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean we get a blank check with God. That doesn't mean do whatever you want. If you want to do it, that's not what it means. It means, look, as as I'm living for God, as as I'm humble before God, As I'm worshiping God, as I'm praying, as I'm asking Him for wisdom, as I'm walking through this process, my delight, like my desires, begin to merge with God's path, and I begin to get excited about where God's directing me. I I begin to have more confirmation. This This is where I'm supposed to be going. And that's a that's a good gift from God, isn't it? Isn't it a good gift that we come to decision-making that there's a point where we feel His favor and we feel His direction and we feel like, okay, the fog's starting to lift and things are starting to get clear for me and things are, I'm starting to see that this is, and there's challenges and there's, it's not going to be an easy path, but I, I, I'm getting excited about what God's going to do in this next season. 
That's a good thing that God gives to us. And I hope, I hope you've experienced that. And I hope you're going to experience it more and more in your future as you make decisions about the places that God wants to take you and lead you and the things that God wants to do in you. Let's pray. God, thank you that God, you care about our path. You care about our future. You, you care about our decisions and, and, and that we that we get it right, that we're, that we're where you want us to be, that we're experiencing the joy and the excitement and the energy of following after you, being in your will, knowing what you desire. And God, I, I pray as we're making decisions in our personal lives that, that we're entering into the process, that we're asking for wisdom from you, from other people, we're giving you space to help shape the decisions that we make, that it would bring glory to you, that would open up new opportunities for ministry, that our life would more conform to the life of Jesus. God, help us to decide. Help, help us when we're afraid. Help us when we're anxious. Help us when we don't know. Give us wisdom. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.